Sick Harrison Price for Friday, December 8th, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're coming downtown for a holiday party, get together with friends, family, game, whatever the case may be, make it a staycation. Call the hotel, 604-331-1000. Matt Sick Harrison alongside Blake Price, Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things in this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. And Applewood Kia in Surrey wants to let you know they've got electric vehicles in stock. You know, this used to be a thing where you'd walk into a car dealership and just say, I like that car, can I drive away in it? Uh, it, That kind of went away in a lot of places for a number of years. That's not the case though. You can jump into the brand new 2024 Nero EV with financing from 6.49% right now, check it out. It's all good at Applewood Kia in Surrey. Whole question today. Who has been the most pleasant surprise this season? Casey DeSmith, Nils Hoaglander, Sam Lafferty, or other? Write, write in whom you think. Do so at Sikarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. And on today's poll, a little bit of context. We considered putting Besser and Ronick on the poll, but One's a first-liner, one's a top-paired defenseman, both getting paid a lot of money. Obviously, they have both been exceptional this year and big reasons why the Vancouver Canucks are where they are. And, yes, Besser is an incredible uh, turnaround story based on the fact that, well, he's already matched his goal total from last year and this after revoking his trade request. So you might be surprised by that, but ultimately he's paid two score goals. We consider him more amongst the role players here. Yeah, um, especially on a night after a night where the Vancouver Canucks get two goals yeah. from role players in a 2 nothing victory over the Minnesota Wild and get a shutout from the backup goaltender in Casey DeSmith. So lots of good candidates here. Frankly, there's some that we could have individualized. Dakota Joshua comes to mind. Bluger, even if he's missed some games, would probably be on the list as well. Joshua feels like he's actually scored more than he has. He's four and four, four goals, four assists, but lots of chances. Yeah, Joshua. lots of chances. <laughs> and lots a little of bit of Yannick Hansen going on there. Yeah, totally. I voted to Smith, and I voted to Smith because we all knew how critical this role was going to be to make sure Thatcher Dem- Demko gets appropriate rest, but not just punt away two points on those nights as we saw last year. And so to Smith. He's won five of his eight starts. He's got points in six of those eight starts. And this is something that the club needed from a meet the goal, make the playoffs finally. Hoaglander laughed. Like I said, plenty here are deserving of votes. I settled on DeSmith. Yeah, and, and I get that. I just feel like we haven't seen him in a long time, so he's sort of out of sight, out of mind for me right now. And had lost his two previous That's starts. right, yeah. But, so, you know, I'm going back and thinking to the start of the year, and he was pretty damn good. You know, that night in Edmonton comes to mind. Lafferty is the easiest cookie-cutter sort of um, example of these kinds of questions, but we have to reflect on where Nils Hoaglander's stock was. Like, three years ago, if you told me, hey, Nils Hoaglander will have – nine goals through 25 games this season, I would have been like, oh, that's that, that sounds like he's just picked up where he left off the previous season. But, of course, he sank to, to depths. There were valleys. And I didn't know if 
the Hoaglander from the Canadian division was ever going to be mm-hmm. seen again. So I'm going to go there because I had zero expectation of Sam Lafferty. The fact that he's done something is great. I had sort of negative expectation of Hoaglander. Well, remember, Hoaglander wasn't even called up late last no. year to play in those. Yeah, so we're going Hoaglander. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit easy because he's got yeah. the highest counting stats, but I, there's a reason for it. little on the nose. It's a little on the nose. Blake Price. Yeah. Blake hates being on the I, nose. I do. Besides, deep cuts. A 2 nothing victory over the Minnesota Wild Thursday. This after 13-plus uh, minutes without a shot on goal. As J-Pat tweeted, the shots at one point were 10 nothing Minnesota. They then went to fi- – they got to 15-13 for the Wild. So nice job by the coming back on the shot clock. Got a Bronx cheer even for finally putting a shot on goal. Yeah, not often you can go like three quarters of a period without a shot and win a hockey game. So well done to the Canucks. But two thirds. But you know what? I don't know how dangerous a lot of the shots were. Like the the expected goals wasn't as bad as the Corsi. Mm-hmm. You know, like the you know there were some now, chances. What but... underlines Corsi is that shots are basically a proxy for possession. Yes. If you're getting shots, it yeah. means you're in the offense. So they had the possession. Mm-hmm. Were they super dangerous well, at times? Mm-hmm. But um, but it, again, it was a more mar- it was more market that they didn't have a puck bunch mm-hmm. and weren't throwing a ton of the net. And Minnesota hasn't been a great team this year, but they were a hot team. They had won four in a row under their new head coach John Hines after firing Dean Evason to try and jumpstart the team. And frankly, they got their jump starts. So the uh, Canucks took care of business against a hot opponent, and to, and Saturday will have to take care of business against an opponent that isn't hot. Carolina's lost both games here in Alberta, but they're a good enough team that you think mm-hmm. how much, how many more games are they going to lose in a row here? Like, this is their head coach's home province, and he was some ticked off earlier in the week with that performance in Edmonton. You almost have to go into this game as if you're taking on a super hot team, like you know, like because mm-hmm. I. To me, Carolina should be playing like the Canucks played last night. Like right. the, the Canucks were in bounce back mode. They tried after the first period, in, in particular, of course, they came shot out of a cannon in the second. And, you know, they were very much managing to get the result last night. I, I think you're going to see Carolina play like that. And you know what? They were very close to doing that against Calgary. They had a 2 nothing lead going into the third versus Calgary, and they squandered it. So as... as Obviously embarrassing as the result was versus the Oilers. In some ways, the result versus the Flames was was even worse because they had the game in tow and they let a, a Flames team that doesn't have the firepower of the Oilers come back and steal those points from them. So um, I'm sure Brindamore is spitting fire right now, and I would expect that team answers the bell. So the Canucks have to be ready for that. Oh, one would think so. We... Uh... We considered putting the entirety of the third line on the poll question, which is now Bluger, Joshua, and Garland. Of course, Pius Suter has played there in the past. We we did so because really, Blake, for several weeks now, they've been getting good stuff out of that trio. They get a goal from that line last night. Teddy Bluger does the scoring. Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland each get in on the goal with assists. I uh, I saw that what Grady tweeted also to uh, 
little bit of praise for Noah Jolson there as well, helping to win a a puck battle, a board battle to set up that goal. And Coach Tockett was asked about that third line last night, and here's what he had to say. I think hash mark down is what they're at their best. You know, I think uh, Dakota's, you know, the way he's been playing for us, where he's getting a lot of loose pucks, and then Garland's feeding off him, you know, and hash mark down. And then Teddy plays that safety valve for us. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, I think it's a chemistry line where they're just hash marked down. They're really good. That's where they get a lot of their chances is hash marked down. Uh, very rarely to the last in the last 10 games, I don't see when we do those game reviews, very rarely that line's on from like in our D zone making mistakes. They're, they're pretty mistake free. So yeah, that, that's because they play the hash marked down game, which is which is important for our team. You wonder where Garland's trade request is now. If he's still seeking a trade, if his agent is. And, and what suitors are thinking about him on the outside looking in? Because if you're just looking at the counting stats, Blake. You're still nonplus. There's not a lot yeah. of there there. It's not like you're saying, yes, let's rush out and get this Connor Garland fellow. Well, and, and I still feel, you know, we've said before, he's a tough guy to find a spot for. He's just in an orthodox player and it's tough finding fits with him so it still feels like no sudden movements nobody nobody mm-hmm. touched the walls here we found a spot that works back away slowly right and and, and just li- li- leave it be you know um and i, I wonder if other it's nhl like teams Jenga puzzle. yes I, and i wonder if other nhl teams are like that too that are just thinking they've caught lightning in a bottle they've found a way to make it work but i don't know if he fits with our guys you know they, they might be just as scared Two goals, seven assists for nine points. He's played all 27 games. And the other thing we should notice at the end of the um, first period Saturday, that will be one-third of the season in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's flying by here. And that's, <laughs> why, that's why the way the Canucks are playing as a team doesn't really bother me because <laughs> they're kicking the can down the road. Right. They're just wasting time, which is good. And look, um, you got to hand it to Teddy Bluger as well. I mean, he missed some time at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, ask really to play up the lineup here. Like, I think if you ask people, he's the the way we characterize him is as a fourth line center in the National Hockey League. Um, Not a particularly gifted Offensive player and yet beautiful goal last night. In fact, both his goals this year have been pretty good, and he's done terrific work on that line. So you're getting the contributions from guys who are supplementing what you're seeing or not seeing at the top of the lineup, Blake. Another quiet outing for Elias Pettersson last night. The the only thing that jumped out to me from Elias Pettersson was in the third period, he dangled somebody in the neutral zone. And I went, whoa. He did his Deeks, bro. He did his Deeks, bro. And it's one of the first times in the last four or five weeks that I've seen him do it successfully. I've seen him attempt it. Mm -hmm. And he's fumbled it or been poke-checked every single time. It was was a successful Deek. And now you could say, well, blind squirrel finding nut here. Or maybe something that has been holding him back, wrist strength, what have you. Maybe it's starting to respond a little bit better here. You can only hope. Lafferty's got seven goals and now is playing on that line, playing in a top six role. Lots of recrimina- recriminations in Toronto about letting this player 
get away 13 points. So he's nearly half point a game, Sam Lafferty. And, and of course, a lion's share of those games have been played in the bottom six. They've moved him from wing. They've moved him to center. He's been a nice utility club. And another feather in the cap of Patrick Alvin. And if you miss our interview with Frank Saravelli on Wednesday, he says Alvin right now is the NHL GM of the year, executive of the year, not only because of the Canucks record, but partly because he's the one guy who's finding a way to make trades in this league. Five trades already this year. He's improving his team when nobody else seems to be able to do it. And he's doing it under the toughest of circumstances with zero cap space. And yet the additions of guys like Bluger, of guys mm-hmm. like Lafferty, acquired different ways. But, you know, it has improved the team. I mean, we've seen it. Niels Oman had a great opening night, um, but he hasn't done much since. Like when this team is healthy, suitors in that third line center role – Teddy mm-hmm. Bluger, who we've seen, is a nice player. That's your fourth-line center. That's a nice fourth-line mm-hmm. center. He is. So if they can just get back to full health, I mean, they are a much better team when fully healthy. And that's what separates them from being a contending team is the minute that injuries hit, um, you know, you're demonstrably worse team. And yet, again, if this is bottom, if if the Canucks are – if this is their regression, you have no problem with being a 500 team for a little bit. No. You – do have to concern yourself with what's going on here with the LA Kings 11 and 0 on the road to start their year. Uh, as we noted, the Kings jumped the Canucks in the standings, both teams on 35 points, but LA with four games in hand, you're also casting an eye, I think down the standings to Edmonton who have won five in a row. Now it's still a mighty mountain for the Oilers to climb, to get to Vancouver's level, but they're healthy. They're goaltenders. Their goaltender is playing better, so that's well, uh, the Oilers are only three points clear of the Sharks still. The well, San Jose's done Sharks. very well. I mean, after losing the first 10, 11, whatever it is, uh, no team has more points than the Sharks since November twenty fifth. Eight, seven, and one since the o ten and one start. That's a respectable team. That is very respectable. Now, all that stuff about oh, will they win 10, 11 games? Will they be as bad as the expansion? Oh, they look bad. Or as they bad as the expansion capitals. I don't or, regret that talk. I don't regret No, it. no, I that was fooey. That was absolutely, no. Fabian Sederlund is their leading goal scorer for a bit? Uh, come on. The hurdle's woken up, but come for on. a while, no, Fabian no. Zetterlund. They, they had enough underlying talents to, they weren't going to be a 10 or 11 win team. Come on. Nonsense. Eight wins right now, by the way. If you're keeping track of the sharks at home, right? You're so probably not. You think they may get three for what's remaining in this guy? I think, I think they're a pretty good bet to get three wins from this point forward. All right. Oh, wanted to get to this as well. Kuzmenko. Canucks outshot with him on the ice last night, eight nil. Yeah. Nine minutes of even strength time for Kuzmenko. We talked about how we liked the sort of King Solomon logic from Rick Tockett. We're going to give you the power play, put you in a position where you can succeed, but you're going to be playing with Nils Amon on the fourth line when it comes to even strength. What did you think of him last night? Invisible. Absolutely invisible. Mm-hmm. His, ex- his expected goals at even strength, 0.09. Mm-hmm. 
This is an offensive player. Like he's supposed to be helping you create offense. Mm-hmm. And that's just not there. Well, it's funny because talk had talked about from the hash marks down that third line, Dakota, Joshua, Connor Garland, Teddy Bluger. Um, th- they do really well. He talked about how Joshua gets to lose pucks about how Garland is feeding him and that Bluger plays the, the safety valve. He also prior to the game expanded on what the issue is with Andre Kuzmenko. And that is that when he's supposed to be the first guy on the four check, he's not the first guy on the four check. He's winding up behind the other two forwards on his line. And in, Recent cases, that's been JT Miller and Brock Besser. And of course, before that, Elias Pettersson and Ilya Mikheyev. And so because he's not getting as deep as he needs to be as the down low first in F1 four checker, the other two guys are sort of reading off him and going, okay, what's going on here? And now they're thinking, and now they're trying to figure something out. And that's what talk it means when he talks about they're playing slower. So the indecision creeps in to several players because Andre Kuzmenko is not doing his job letter perfect. I, I thought it was look, a lot of coaches would not have given you that, Blake. So I thought it was an excellent explanation from the Canucks head coach, who remains an elite communicator and someone who's teaching us all a thing or two about the game and the X's and O's. Hockey's the one sport where you don't talk a lot of X's and O's, right? Football, you talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Baseball, they're always going through the strategy based on, you know, well, runners on base, pitch you know, uh, count. Because of inning. how fluid hockey is, there's only so many times where <laughs> situations match up to game plan, right? Um, so much of it is broken play. But one thing, I mean, the puck's, it's collected by the defensive team on the end boards with regularity. Yes. That's your one time to say, okay, let's try our thing. Mm-hmm. And Kuzmenko's messing up the thing, <laughs> you know? So it, it, it's the one time where you, where you can cut the ball, if you yeah. will. And fixed event. Yeah. It's a fixed event. And, and when you're not, when you're not the line of scrimmage ready for the fixed event, um, it screws things up. Nice to see Christine Sinclair in the building last night. I've never in... seen her so animated. Yes. She very much loved the game that was going on yeah, in the video it's board. Great. Panta Oilers fan, boo. Panta Christine, cheer. <laughs> well done. Uh, getting some R&R after a sublime international career for Canada in soccer. More on that in a second, but uh, also saw that Jeff was told yesterday the black skates is not being dusted off. Well, so they released a schedule. Here are the nights we're going to wear the black skate. And then they went ahead and added Tuesday and Thursday. And every, I mean, it was the Tuesday game. We talked about it with Rob Williams. That, what would the reasoning have been there? Oh, no, these are big games. Nothing bigger than the Devils and Wild. Jeff's told these two (laughs) games are the only additions to the original Blacks. I don't either. I don't buy it for a second. Again, why would you all of a sudden, maybe for Hughes Bowl, 
Why this Minnesota Wild mm-hmm. game? Why would you include that? Don't know. As for the hunt for defensemen, and if the Canucks are not done, and they indicated they are not done after acquiring Nikita Zadorov last week, the question becomes, who are you hunting? And is it just from the group that's available now, or is this going to be something done later in the season, closer to the trade deadline, when presumably you will have more teams out of it, more sellers and more available defensemen? TSN Insider Trading Thursday talked about Chris Tanev. Of course, we've long talked about him. Talked about Tyson Berry, victorious Tyson Berry, who's seeking a trade from the Nashville Predators. Talked about Tony D'Angelo in Philadelphia. Ethan Bear, of course, who's on the sidelines there. Ilya Labushkin in Anaheim, although Anaheim may not be quite ready to trade off. They've had a good start to the season. They have fallen back to earth, but going to keep your fans a little bit excited there with first bout of competitiveness here in a couple of years for Anaheim. And then Sean Walker in Philadelphia. And LeBron reported it would be a first-round pick right now if you wanted to add Sean Walker, which seems high, and it is, but I think it is also reflective of the fact that Walker is not a difficult cap hit. That Walker at 2.65 in the UFA, and particularly if Philadelphia is willing to retain money on him, is someone who might be able to slide into your cap constraints because, let's face it, there's a lot of teams out there that have cap constraints. So do any of those names do anything for you? Um, Not a ton. Oh, I said Tony D'Angelo in Philadelphia. He's in Carolina. Yes. Yes. He has gone between both markets. He's been up and down the Eastern Seaboard quite a bit. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, Carolina, Philadelphia, Sean Walker. I I mean, I would have to go deeper dive on Walker to see, you know, what you're actually getting. Like, there's a few guys that have sort of been mentioned and bandied about. We're talking depth, right shot guys. Like, people brought up Peak in Columbus for a bit and Walker here. Like, these are not household names. Um, And the, the problem I have with a bunch of these guys is it's it's adding to this stable of fifth and sixth defensemen. The Canucks once had the Sea of Grandlands, using Jason Boschford's term. Well, was Craig Button's great line once upon a time? Canucks lead the league in seventh defense. Right. So they've moved up, which is great. They're actually into top six defensemen now, but they need a number four, Matt. They need a yeah, certified yeah, number do. four. Yeah, they do. Because Ian Cole's being asked to do a lot right now. He shouldn't be the anchor on the second pair. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's why Ethan Bear is the best of the solutions for him. Because we know that Ethan Bear works with Quinn Hughes. I don't know about the playoffs, but at least in a regular season, mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes and Ethan Bear can be a thing. And then Ronick and Cole makes a lot more sense. Because the chances mm-hmm. of you getting a certified top four guy, and Ethan Bear's not that, but for whatever reason, it works with Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. And Quinn, really, Ian Cole's not that either. Again, these are guys that should be on your third pair on a contending team. But given the fact that it's unlikely to be done for the Canucks because of their cap constraints, 
I'm just, I'm Ethan Barabas. And I say Walker might be an easier fit cap-wise. Well, that's compared to Tyson Berry, right? who is making 4.5. D'Angelo's on a very reasonable yeah, he's one six contract this year. D'Angelo is 1675. And uh, Labushkin's also in the $2 million range. So, you know, you basically have players here who are paid roughly. Labushkin's at 275 you know, paid roughly what they're worth. I mean, maybe there's a little value in D'Angelo. In fact, maybe Barry's a little overpaid, given that yeah. there's not a lot of coaches that are going to trust him in every defensive situation out there. So, yeah, no, it's an underwhelming list. I mean, obviously, Tanif is a different breed, and if you feel like Chris Tanif is healthy enough, that is the guy who I think, slots most appropriately for you gets you the sort of yeah profile of defenseman that you need most i would also suspect that calgary particularly after getting criticized for taking uh, a bit of a haircut on the return on zadorov is not giving tanif away and especially not to vancouver after the zadorov deal and especially knowing all of chris tanif's history with this franchise and in this city He's always, he's, I mean, he's the perfect profile, mm-hmm. but he's not the perfect addition because he's old and brittle. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> there's no perfect situation right now for the Canucks. Now to soccer and the Copa. Copa America. Oh, not Cabana. I've been to Copa Cabana. His name is Messi. I've actually stayed in the Copa Cabana. He is a midfielder. Very nice hotel. What's that? I stayed in the Copa Cabana. In real? Yeah. Really? Yep. Did you go to a show? I did not. I was very, oh, very hold ill. Hold on a second. Very, very ill. Oh, really? Yeah. Like stomach bug? Yeah. Oh, boy. Like, uh, you should drink the water. I was on a junket and I was in Mexico City, you know, days before that. And it happened in Mexico City. The infection did. And yeah, couldn't shake it. So I have a color experience. Was it, was it the ice and the drinks? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Possible. I know the restaurant. Couldn't take you there, but I know I know where the I, I know when it happened. So uh, yeah. What anyway. what did you order? Oh, it was a set menu, so it was, oh, I didn't okay. have a choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you the only one who got sick? No, we were there oh. with a big group and everybody. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Must have been a hell of a flight. Yeah. Canada could very well play Lionel Messi. Canada, if it beats Trinidad and Tobago, itty bitty TNT gets into this tournament. And last night, at yet another elaborate, over the top, insisting on itself soccer draw, they were drawn into a pool with the defending champion Argentines, Peru, and Chile. Yeah. Canada versus Lionel Messi, and it would be the first game of the tournament in June. This I, is pretty heady stuff here. It's unbelievable. That's the GOAT. Uh, and I want to be excited about it, but after being eminently disappointed about their result versus Jamaica, you got to get there before I'm I'm really, I'm going to go there in my own mind. Well, they should be Trinidad. Well, they should. Though. They should have been Jamaica. Well, Jamaica's a step up from Trinidad and Tobago. They are. They are. But 
I'm still not going to get excited. By the way, Peru and Chile, um, while nice teams, are 35th and 40th in the world, respectively. Like, mm-hmm. not only will it be fun just to see, would it be fun to see Canada on the pitch mm-hmm. against Lionel Messi, the Peru and Chile games are winnable games. Yeah. Canada sunk to 48th in the world. I, I thought the TSN panel was awfully negative last night. Um, De Guzman basically writing off Canada's chances of even competing in this tournament. Well, they've played terrible. Talking I about South American football is a different beast, and we don't have enough experience against that kind of, of soccer, and we should really just use this as a tune-up for 2026. Caldwell all over Soccer Canada, and that's why you need a general secretary, and that's why you need a head coach and all that. Now, my understanding is Charmaine Crooks is uh, out there as we speak talking to general secretary candidates. It was a long list, but they are narrowing it, and mm-hmm. uh, they even have, I think they've got a head coaching candidate in their sights uh, as well. Alas, it won't be Ancelotti. Not likely. Although he did say uh, recently, not today, um, money is not the issue. Well, of course, the rumor is he's going to go coach Brazil. That rumor's been there forever, though, and he keeps shooting it down. So, I mean, who knows? But it's Can you not imagine a, if it's Don Carlo comes. Oh, the, the one. The, if you want to start conspiracy theories, though, mm-hmm. here's my other. You, you, yours is Ancelotti because of the tide of Vancouver. No, my. It's not a conspiracy theory. Oh. I, I would like that distinguished. My point is. Great leader, great communicator, most charming, Charmaine Crooks, with all of her contacts, all of her international experience in the sports world, makes a pitch to Ancelotti, backed by the right sort of sponsors who are going to step up here, and sells him the dream of being a builder in what is really the last frontier for soccer, North America. Okay, so you've kind coach our team. Yes, put us on the map, so to speak. Get us some success, and be beloved coast to coast in your adopted country that your wife is from. You've connected those dots. Here's dots that I'll connect. Divisive player, so I'm not a divisive manager, so I'm not advocating necessarily. But how about this? Hansi Flick is available. He was a disaster as the coach of Germany, but he led Bayern Munich to their best season of all time. He was there with Alfonso as a young boy. With so Bayern. he would be the Fonzie whisperer then? Potentially. Did Alfonso play and play well under him? That was the, that was, Hans Flick was the first manager that he played Bayern for. Bayern has gone through some managers yes. since, no? Nagelsmann and cool now yes yeah. high standard there lose a few games and you could be out the door oh you could have three trophies and be like no we wanted four this year you're out sorry didn't meet expectations that, that was Nagelsmann. anyways I, I i mean i can't wait uh, obviously got to take care of business against trinidad and tobago but needless to say the world cup in qatar a year ago right this week if i'm not mistaken blake was a a massive moment for this country sporting wise to get back to that stage, to see this terrific group of young talent come together like it did through qualifying and really um, re-energize 
soccer because, you know, for the longest time there, every little Canadian boy or girl played soccer at some level. And somehow, some way, we couldn't find 11 of them on the men's side to come together and be a competitive team. When they play to their level, they are a competitive team. And it was a disappointment in Qatar, so all the more reason to make up for it. And could you imagine if they have a memorable game against Lionel Messi in Argentina? I think it'll be memorable regardless. If they get lit up, mm. that's fine. I mean, uh, Lionel Messi will be a year older almost right. than, than he is now. Um, and Playing on all that turf with all that MLS travel. No, there won't be turf. No, but this. Oh yes, yes, you're right. Sorry, an MLS yeah. or a portion there. Argentina's not uh, not as deep as the European squads are. No, like you no. take on a giant of Europe, you're facing eleven of the world's best. You don't necessarily get that with Argentina. So, should be a should be a lot of fun. We're in the awkward spot here, and you'll hear it later in the show, of recording with not yet knowing the destination destination for Shohei Otani. There are reports out there, including one from a Dodgers Nation reporter, saying it's done. He's going to the Blue Jays. And it is theoretically possible that the Otani camp had let the Dodgers and the other suitors know they no, it ain't you. But <laughs> there was a fantastic flurry of Twitter activity around Otani. And thirsty Toronto. I I almost wonder if we Putting should dots together. Let's tape two segments here. <laughs> we'll do a and Otani has landed in Toronto. And as soon as it happens, Grady can just pop that section in. <laughs> Who knows? Honestly, it, it looked almost certain that this was going to be announced mm-hmm. on Friday. And now not so clear. Anyways, the biggest uh, the biggest free agent of all time, certainly the biggest free agent in baseball history, is uh, the saga should be done by the time we reconnect with everybody on Monday. Oh, the lengths that Toronto is going to to try to connect positive dots on Otani is just brilliant. Great fun. Shout out to Lydia and Burnaby, longtime Secure Some Price listener, Typically always stops by at some point in December to drop off a few little goodies. She is a master sewer. She has made us Christmas bunting that we are going to hang next week. You'll see it on our videos starting next week, not to mention uh, some hockey carts. Mm -hmm. And she was dutiful enough. She's like, no, Grady's a goalie. He loves goalies. And so she put together a package of hockey cards from her house that were themed for the three of us. Yes. So she's got some old Jets cards for you. She's got some old Sens and Habs cards for me. She's got goalies for Grady. Thank curated, you, Lydia. Yes. Yeah, curated. Very well put. Thank you, Lydia. Appreciate your ear, your support, and your friendship over all these years. Let's get to today's menu. Brought to you by Greta. Greta on West Cordova. Great spot to catch the game throughout the season. The playoffs. Place to chill. In the offseason, we'll talk to Frank Corrado. Frank moved from Wednesday this week. We flipped the Franks on the Zadorov trade, on the partnership with Myers, what we've seen from Big Nikita in the three games they've played, on structure in a on a couple of levels, on 
you know, how one has to execute structure and also a little bit of a breakdown on what we were talking about Kuzmenko as a four checker. And Frank is one of the best I've ever heard at taking technical X's and O's hockey stuff and putting it to plain English. And he does so again in our Kuzmenko discussion. We also talked Sam Lafferty with him. He called the Kings in Montreal last night. And wow, like this Kings team, we may have underestimated the Kings team, Blake, when we talked about, you know, the big two in the West with Vegas in the Pacific and Colorado in the central, this Kings team. And we knew they had this great, great collection of young talent that was going to mature. It looks like it's matured uh, before our eyes here, because this is 11 games on the road. Yeah. You don't see that a whole lot in the NHL. It doesn't make any travel, sense. especially from a West coast that team. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. That's a lot of travel. It's a lot of inconvenience. Um, I mean, that, that could be a, a league record road record by the end of the season. We'll see. Hashtags, including planes, trains, and sushi, sushi restaurants <laughs> with Shohei Otani. Jeff Patterson going to stop by about the bounce back win, about that third line. Nils Hoaglander, Casey DeSmith, and what he'd like to see from Elias Patterson going forward and particularly Saturday in Carolina. Plus, it's Friday, so we go to the people. Never a bad time to send us a tell me I'm wrong, a hot take, or any commentary you have on any segment or social media clip you hear on this show. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox, email live at securesomeprice.com. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Foolish Winery, Yellow Dog Spirits, and on Thursday, March 14th, Neighborhood will be dropping one of their most popular beers, Sunshine City Passion Fruit Wheat Ale. This is absolutely a perfect summertime beverage. Drink a lot of them. It's a gold medal, gold medal winning brew too. Silky smooth base, tart and exotic characteristics of passion fruit. It's a perfect accompaniment to sunshine, beaches, and good times. And have a busy workday. Treat yourself to a Yale Dog neighborhood or foolish wine. Secure's price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And Applewood Infinity at the Richmond Auto Mall has some smashing deals. How about the 2023 QX50 and QX55 with financing from 0%? Yeah, seriously. You can lease it from 2.99%. What year is it? 2015? Hmm, it's crazy. Go check it out. Take one for a test drive at Applewood Infinity, the Richmond Auto Mall. It's all good at Applewood. Whole question today. Who has been the most pleasant surprise this season? Casey DeSmith, Nils Hoaglander, Sam Lafferty. You can vote other. Reply with whom? Vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. Joined now by TSN hockey analyst, former Vancouver Canuck, Mr. Frank Corrado. How you doing? Good, good. It's uh, early morning. Just got in from La Belle Provence, Montreal. Got the call up. Uh, from the minors up to the NHL into the booth to call the Habs versus Kings with Boudreaux last night. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, well, it went great for the Kings. Actually, Montreal <laughs> played a pretty good game. Like it, it was four nothing LA. I actually, can't fault Montreal's effort. And Slavkovsky looked really good. That was probably the best game I've, I've seen him play, maybe ever. But uh, LA just you know routine win for them, four nothing, no problem, and low event game. 
How did Frank Corrado feel about the uh, color analyst position? How many times have you done that? Uh, that was my second NHL game. Been doing some okay. Champions Hockey League, as you know. We do some yeah. CHL, but uh, no, it was good. It was when yeah. you work with a guy like like Muddy. He's he's so good, and he sets you up the whole time. It was uh, awesome to be back at the Bell Center. Um, it was it was definitely the quietest I've ever heard that stadium, though. Yeah, and really. It hurts mm. when a, a game goes like that. Did you get a steamy? <clears throat> I had one and a half. Ah. Mm. It's great restraint on your you part. You couldn't finish the second half? Like, what was that? I was, was that actually, your... I was actually caught in a tough spot. Uh, I was with my buddy, Victor Finley, who's doing the, the radio play-by-play for the Habs. And we yep. were in line there in the media room. And lady goes, how many dogs do you want? And I said, two. So she hands me a plate with two. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll have the two because Victor's going to – he got his own. And I'm like, now I got two here. So I had the first one. I get halfway through the second one, and I'm like, I got to go call a game. Like, I can't have two dogs in between a period here. So I, I disposed of the other half of the second one. And I imagine that's a very unpopular opinion with your listeners and viewers. I imagine there's not many dogs that are disposed of midway through at the Bell yeah. Center. They're just That's a little kind steamy. Of known, it's not like they're, they're football. Kind of known for those things. That's I mean, just we, me being in my own head saying I can't bury two dogs during an intermission. So, okay, <laughs> true or false, you have seen NHL players order the steamies in-game at the Bell Center. I have been an NHL player who's <laughs> ordered that in-game. Mind you... A healthy scratch. I don't know if you're talking about players in the game. Mm -hmm. I have never witnessed, and I've been to the Bell Center a lot when I played for Toronto. I have never witnessed a player even go remotely near one of those who's playing, but there was always a nice box of them waiting for us as soon as we got off the ice to finish the game. We've seen backup backup goalies do it. Well, and to be fair, I believe the Kyle Wellwood, Shane O'Brien era predates Frank Corrado with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, said you saw the Kings 11 and 0 on the road. They're now the number two team in the Pacific. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, well and, and the Canucks don't face them till like late in the season. It's ridiculous how late they face them uh, before they play a multitude of games. They can so, get all this out of their system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what if yeah. Vancouver, what's Vancouver uh, eventually going to face there with the Kings? Just what makes a, them so good? Such a well-built team, very well-coached team, very structured like they they make it very difficult for you to get through the neutral zone. Like they they kind of stack three players across the red line, and you know it's the old one three one. We've seen Guy Boucher do it in the past, and Todd McClellan likes it in LA, and they do a really good job. It, it's it poses a bunch of different issues for you. First of all, the thing that LA does better than anyone I've seen as far as doing this one three one is how quickly they get into it. Like I was talking to some of the guys in the morning and, you know, it was like, how are you going to try and beat it? And I know in the past it was always, well, let's not let them get set up. Let's move the puck as quick as we can transition it quick. That's what LA does really well. They get set up in that thing quicker than anyone I've seen. And even if you, you know, you want to chip and chase pucks, you want to dump pucks in because you think you're doing the right thing there. And now you're not going to turn it over in the neutral zone. Drew Doughty's that one player back very often standing by the goalie and he's so good on the breakout. So they just, they break the puck out so well because of that. And they just chip away at you. Like they're big, strong uh, forwards who have a lot of speed. They really lean on you in the offensive zone. And like it, last night, it was just, you know, small mistake back of your net. And that happened three or four times. And 
that's going to be the case for, for a lot of teams that play against LA. And, you know, even if you think you have an edge on them, it was, it was Tuesday, they're in Columbus, they're down three, nothing. And it took six minutes and 38 seconds for LA to come back in, in the third period. And then they won it in overtime. It's just, just business-like approach. They go out, they go about their business the same way, every shift, every period. And they're, they're a scary team. They're mm. like talking to guys before the game. I was asking like, who's the best teams you guys have played? And it was Vegas and LA. That's what everyone seems yeah. to say. Well, and tremendous depth down the middle uh, too. And to think uh, Byfield's really coming here, uh, playing on a wing. Structure, structure gets thrown around a lot in Vancouver right now because there hasn't been a lot lately. And you're, you're talking about some of the structure there for LA. How is it that teams can just find structure? Like, why do they lose it? Like, so the Canucks played a terrible game on Tuesday, nearly got away with it and got at least past 60 minutes. Ultimately, don't. Um, their comeback is foiled. But then they come back, and we just knew it. We said going into this game, this is going to be a lower event game. They're, Rick Tockett's going to have them playing more stout defensively, and they did. Like, why does a team get loose all of a sudden? And then the ability to tighten up, and again, the foes are different. But I don't know that the Minnesota Wild ultimately are playing any worse than the, the Devils are. They'd won four straight coming in. But how does a team get loose and then all of a sudden find its structure again? It's such a good question. And I've experienced this on, on many different levels. So from, from the team perspective, it's like playing with that kind of discipline every game and period after period, it's a serious mental sweat. Right. And some yeah. nights you just don't have it in you to dial it in. You're like, I just need a night where kind of can go through the motions a little bit here and just throw it in cruise control. It's hard to have that hard to give yourself that mental sweat 82 games a year. So you're not going to have it a lot. And even from like, like a player's perspective as an individual, you know, you, you have games where you play really well and you have that foundation that, that makes you a good player. And then sometimes you want a little bit more and it's really hard to just kind of stay in the moment about this is what I do. I do this well. I don't need to try and do anything more than that. But there's also a discipline involved in that. And there's a mental sweat involved with that. So it really takes a, a certain kind of player and a certain kind of team to not get bored and bogged down by doing the same thing over and over and over. And the guys that are okay with that, the guys that don't get bored by that, generally speaking, we see them have pretty long careers where it's very consistent and you get those guys together on the same team and you know you get a team like LA where they kind of let that be the foundational piece first and foremost and then the individual skill really takes over when you have the opportunity and I think Quinton Byfield is a really good example of that where this is a guy who a lot of people had questions about as this you know former second overall pick he's now having a, a big breakthrough season he scores two goals last night like sure you caught the highlights that was a pretty nice goal he scores as he goes wide on on Caden Gooley but like this guy like big strong fast um playing with a lot of confidence now and it's, it's a little bit of a cautionary tale I guess for for people who think that prospects need to arrive right away like th these guys are really good for a reason there was a pedigree with this guy he was the CHL rookie of the year in in 2018 and 2019 like there's a reason why these guys are, are really good. And sometimes it just takes them a little while longer to arrive at the NHL level. And, you know, playing with Kopitar and Kempe and playing on a team like that, that he does certainly helps that along the way. His uh, fellow Sudbury Wolf there, Quinton Byfield. Mm. Right. Um, 
our first chance to talk to you since the Nikita Zadorov trade. Just uh, interested your thoughts on the trade and your thoughts on the pairing with Myers and what you've been able to see over these three games Listen, for him with yeah. Vancouver. Big fan of the trade. Thought it was it was obviously very smart to bring in a, a big burly defenseman like that who can skate pretty well. And he's gonna have his, you know, he's gonna have his moments where you know he's gonna take a, a dumb penalty or he's gonna turn over the puck. And you know, it, it may happen more often than than you'd like, but you have to take the good with the bad. And he's gonna play physical, like we saw him kind of getting into it with Maroon at the end of the game. He's not gonna, you know, not gonna let people take liberties and but I think the the sequence that leads up to the Hoaglander goal is really interesting for me watching that D pair play together because they're in the defensive zone. There's two minutes, two minutes and change left in that period. And there's a little battle in the corner. And you can see Zadorov, who's a gargantuan human. He kind of goes closer to the corner. They they pinch things off, like they they contain everything there. Puck goes the other way. It ends up coming back on a rush. And then you see Myers and Zadorov do a really good job of like neutralizing the rush situation. They're big, they're long, they're rangy. And then it's going to go back the other way for, for Hoaglander and he takes the shot and it's Zadorov who's up in the rush, who acts as a screen. So like, I, I feel like that was a really good sequence for that pair where you see everything kind of go well for them and what's going to make them a good pair. Like they're going to contain things in, in a small area in the defensive zone because they're so big and it's going to be hard to get around those guys. And then, you know, when, when they can move the puck and, you know, a guy like Zadorov who has good wheels, he's going to get involved in the play. Um, it's just, it, it, it presents a, it presents quite a challenge if, if you're the opposition and especially if you're maybe undersized opposition. Um, turning our attention to uh, Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, you may have noticed he's back in the doghouse here with Talkit. And the head coach said to uh, explain to us, and, and Blake and I both sort of perked up because, like, okay, here's the here's the rationale. Kuz, Kuzmenko is not getting all the way in on the forecheck, and he says that's causing problems for his line mates because they're a little bit confused as to where he's going to go, what he's going to do. And, and so they're just disjointed right now. Explain that uh, to us a little further, Frankie. You have to have a certain amount of predictability on the ice for your teammates. So they know what you're going to do. And the quicker you make your decision, the quicker other players can read off you and make their decisions. And when it comes to the forecheck specifically, I hate the terms that people use when they say F1 or F2 or F3. No one knows what the hell that means. So I had a coach, and I won't out him because I know he really likes this terminology, but I'm going to share what it is. And this is the visual that you need to have if you're seeing a forecheck. The first forward needs to hunt the puck, okay? The second forward needs to seek where the option is. That's where Kuzmenko is right now, a little slow. He's not see like, the first player can get in. He knows what, what, what the job is, even Kuzmenko. Like, he can get in as the first guy. But the second guy needs to seek out where the option is because that means there's a third guy who now needs to seal a wall. So he's either going to have to go to the strong side wall or he's going to have to go the other way. Like, so if you're that second guy, you need to make a decision a little quicker. And then that'll allow the D, because as we know, Rick Tockett wants his D being up, having a good gap, trying to keep things alive in the offensive zone. Then the quicker everything happens in front of the D, 
the more decisive they can be. And then they don't get caught in the middle and they don't have to give up the blue line. So it is really important for first player to hunt, second player to seek where the options are going to be. And then, you know, your, your three pack there between your third forward in and your two defensemen, now they can really start to log jam things. So like for Kuzmenko, make the decision quicker, be more decisive in your game. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about last week when Talkett said, like, he's got to move his feet through the neutral zone. Like, yeah, the more you skate through the neutral zone, especially in the middle of the ice, now you can kind of make your decision as far as who you're going to engage when you get in on the forecheck. So the first player is like the hound dog goes into the woods Chase scares the, the game towards yeah. the hunters and post yeah. one and two. I've seen it. I've, I've seen him in an F one position too, where he's just too slow to get to it. Given the guy who's got the puck on the end boards, all sorts of time to make a strong outlet pass. And then, you know, the other teams away. So uh, yeah. whether he's F one or F two, it's just not working for, for Kuzmenko. Or he's it, the hunt or the hunter or the seeker. Yeah. Yeah. He just told you he doesn't like F one, F two, Blake. <laughs> It's just what's used. I, I appreciate it. He I'm, gives us these fantastic yeah. terms, hunter seeker, yeah. and you revert back to the slang that nobody. Oh knows. man, if my old coach is watching this, I'm getting a phone call for sure. Oh boy, I bet he I, trademarked it. Minor Let's hockey see. loves F1, F2, F3, right? They now. love oh it. Oh my god! Oh my god! Coach, uh, minor hockey coach, you're playing house. Uh, Sam Lafferty is a Vancouver Canuck. He's not a Toronto Maple Leaf. Can you tell us exactly how much that burns the Leafs right now? Because uh, he's got uh, more than a handful of goals and just playing his role perfectly right now for the Canucks. Yeah, there's there's a segment of Leafs Nation that really misses Sam Lafferty, and I think it's much bigger than people would like to admit. And like myself included, when, when I saw Lafferty go, I I did see him as just another guy in Toronto. Of course, he would be a welcome addition given the way like the, the the fourth line in Toronto has had their struggles and they've they've played better of late. Like we've seen a little bit of a rotation here with either Bobby McMahon or Ryan Reeves being in and out of the lineup. And, you know, Reeves has had a tough go. Like there was a little while there where he wasn't on the ice for a goal for. And I think the first time he put his hands up in the air to celebrate a goal on the ice was, you know, well into November. So things are are getting better for the fourth line. But there's no doubt like Sam Lafferty would be a welcome addition. And even in Toronto, the, the penalty kill has really struggled. And Lafferty was a guy who understood the penalty kill. And, and Toronto does lack some, some players that have had experience playing on the penalty kill at the NHL level. So that's hurt them as well. And credit to him. He's done a great job here in, in Vancouver and, and fit in really nicely. And I think, you know, Talkett would have some familiarity with him, I believe, or, or Jim Rutherford would for sure because um you know rutherford was the the gm in, in pittsburgh when when he would assigned um out of college so you know understanding what a player's strengths are under the coach understanding how to use him to the best of his ability and then for the player to to apply that himself like gets around the ice really well um nice to have that kind of speed nice to have that tenacity that physicality and um yeah i, I see i see a lot of leaf fans kind of down on the fact that Toronto basically gave him up for, for nothing. Yeah. Um, and he's been just with the doctor or a nice utility club here in Vancouver. I caught insider trading yesterday. I saw them speaking of the right shot defensemen that are out there. Uh, victorious Tyson Berry, Tony D'Angelo, of course, Ethan bear, who's getting near a return and would only be a signing and uh, Ilya Labushkin 
in Am- Anaheim. Uh, where would you go here, Frankie? Like of those names, who's most interesting for you? Um, can I be honest? There's there's mm. not a lot of interesting names. Really. <laughs> like if you're if you're if you're a good team, you have your Tony D'Angelo and your Tyson Berry already. Um, and you probably have better versions of those players. So you're not bringing in that kind of guy. Ilya Labushkin on a really good team is, is a third pairing guy, nothing more. He had to um, bat above his weight class here in Toronto because they were depleted at the time. So he had to play with Morgan Riley on the first pair. And quite honestly, when he was doing that, like we saw him kind of get exposed and, and that was too much for him. And, you know, he looked good in flashes, but he needs to be lower in the lineup. So um, there's not a ton that excites me and the, the, the players that you mentioned there in, in Barry and, and D'Angelo, those kinds of guys, like we saw it in free agency, teams were reluctant to give those guys term and money and didn't want to commit to, to players like that because I don't know, it feels like you have your one kind of guy that really leads the charge offensively. And you're just trying to, you're trying to build around that with the bigger kind of stronger guys who can play some matchups. And like, we just talked about LA, they have, they have guys that way. Like Gavrikov got a two year deal at really good money. I think like Mikey Anderson is a really good compliment to, to Drew Doughty and like Vegas won the cup with some bigger, longer, rangier guys. So um, it's just, it seems like that, that puck mover kind of one dimensional guy. If you're bringing that player in, is he going to have a big impact for you playing on the second power play unit? I just, I, I, I don't see it. Like there's, you know, the other, the other guy that's out there is Matt Dumba. And I think like Matt Dumba, the idea of Matt Dumba when he's playing at his best, I believe that would help a lot of teams. I think, you know, the guy who can skate really well, punishing physically, but can move the puck, not afraid to get involved in the play. But is he that guy right now? Or are you just bringing him in because you like the idea of that's what he could be if he could find it. So that's, you know, there's, there's always with this year's kind of D class that's out there. um, And Chris Tanev included because of the injury issues that he's had over, over his career. I think there is a a significant element of buyer beware. Matt Dumba right now at 3.9 or Tyler Myers at six, who would you rather have on your team? Uh, <laughs> well, just because the cap is what it is, I'm, I'm going to take my chances with the player that makes less yeah. and, and try and hope that I could extract the most out of him. I think, you know, we're talking double the price. Are you getting double the production or double the great play out of Tyler Myers compared to Matt Dumba? No, absolutely not. So I think given, given the price, you'd, you'd probably go with Matt Dumba, but you know, if you could work around the salary cap and get to the point in the playoffs where, you know, you don't have the salary cap anymore, I'd probably be more inclined to have Tyler Myers because he's, you know, seven foot eight and can provide some kind of service for me lower in the lineup. Great wingspan. Yes. Big wingspan guy. Yeah. yeah. Space eaters. <laughs> Frankie, marvelous stuff. As always, my friend, have a great weekend. We'll catch up back on Wednesday next awesome yeah thank you guys we'll talk no matter what you're buying folks when you're out in the world looking for this that and the other i think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting you can feel good about supporting the applewood auto group Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community go and find out why it is indeed all good at applewood visit them online anytime at applewood.ca
Let's secure some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. A, a series here on John Rom. Blake and his defection to live. And of course, it wasn't that long ago where Ron Rom said, quote, Shotgun three days to me is not a golf tournament, no cut. I want to play against the best of the world in a format that's been going on for hundreds of years. Would my lifestyle change if I got $400 million? Not one bit. Well, apparently his lifestyle is going to change at five or $600 million. <laughs> The old million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, everybody's got a price. Gary Parrish of CBS. I have this one too. It's great. Rom should just tell the truth and simply say I turned down a lot of live money previously because the PGA Tour asked me to be loyal and insisted there would be no coming back. Then the PGA Tour tried to go into business behind my back with the same people they told me not to do business with. That was disappointing and something that made me reconsider everything. So now I'm going to, so now I'm making the move to live because I'm not going to be dumb enough to pass on hundreds of millions of dollars again. Not when I also have these exemptions to majors that this year's Masters win gives me. Again, that's a fake quote, folks, but it perfectly mm-hmm. summarizes where his mind might be. Well, if you guys are okay doing yeah. business with him, why can't I do business well, with him? Well, and I like what Jason Logan of Score Golf said earlier in the week. Like, he's taking this money now because in short order, he's going to be able to play wherever he wants, whenever he wants. Well, and as we said yesterday, too, like, could you just see the whole house of cards coming down and – John Rom can have his cake and eat it too, where he gets this money, can still play in every PGA tournament. Like he, so why not? And I understand that because the PGA Tour screwed up this whole mm-hmm. process so mightily. And then it goes further at SI underscore golf. John Rom is gone. A billion dollar compromise was on the table, and Patrick Cantley is in control. More details continue to emerge after Rom's announcement. Yeah. So Patrick. Cantley has emerged as a power figure here because Rory McIlroy is no longer one of mm-hmm. the players on the advisory board. And so Rory was the guy who was speaking up on behalf of the rank and file PGA Tour members, whereas the other players who were on the committee were more along the lines of, no, the star should get the most of this money, this billion-dollar compensation or, you know, Saudi money just to make everything, put everybody on the same page and allow this to go forward. So Tiger Woods is there, Patrick Cantley, Jordan Spieth, and apparently, according to the SI reporting, all of them are looking out more for the star player than the rank and file. Which is not the way this was supposed to go down. Well, but by the same token, you know, how much claim does the 112th player in the world get to this money? They're not a draw. No, for sure. filling out the field. Yeah, but the whole point was to separate the PGA Tour from Liv by saying, uh, listen, you're never going to see a rise of the rank and file because there will Mm -hmm. be no room at Liv to have a rank and file. You know, they have limited fields. Mm -hmm. So... It's all coming undone. Well, and now these players on the advisory board board may well have to explain to the other players, oh, it's not a billion dollars anymore because John Rom just went and took half of it. Right. 
Um, the other thing with with Liv is, of course, the rank and file don't get the guaranteed contracts that the stars get. So mm-hmm. even if there are a few rank and file players in any given live live event, the minute a PGA Tour player says "I'm in," that other player is booted mm-hmm. in favor. So like, there's no job security. It's just it's uh, ravenous. Uh, a series from Marash Marchese, uh down in uh, California slash Vegas. Uh, I'm told the Lakers currently have no plans to change their stance on only hanging banners for NBA championships. Yeah. They don't hang banners for Western conference titles, Pacific division titles, and now for NBA in season tournament titles, only mm-hmm. NBA titles because it's the Lakers. I get it. Right. But if it's the Indiana Pacers, I mean, the whole idea of this is to make it a big deal. I, 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 if, if I'm anybody but the Lakers or the Celtics, I probably am hanging a banner. Mm. I mean, it's a title and they're trying to make it mean something and hanging a banner for it. It makes sense. Can we have a grade? Can we have grades, tiers of banners? Smaller banner? Smaller. Maybe not quite in quite a place of honor. House League champions? Something, yeah, like, something that. like that. Yeah. He follows that up with, how do millionaires view $500,000, which they'll get for if they win? D'Angelo Russell said he would use that money to pay for his summer vacation and all-star break. So to him, he sees 500 k and goes, that should cover two vacations. That's the level in which these guys vacate. Sound, <laughs> sound like amazing vacations. <laughs> Can I please... Get a slice of a $250,000 vacation. Frankly, I'm quite sure I can have an amazing vacation with a fraction of that. Like, yeah, like a one hundredth of it. <laughs> like, imagine that's how they view it. And this has always been the problem with these in-season tournaments with all-star game incentives, because to make it big enough for them to really bat an eyelash, it has to be grotesque amounts of money. Otherwise, they just see it as a vacation. Like a parting gift. By the time you hear this, you may well know where Shohei Otani has signed. Mm -hmm. So we're going to keep it to planes and restaurants here. And the incredible frenzy that has gone on on Twitter with Blue Jays fans and those who desperately want the city of Toronto to land this baseball superstar. It started last night, Blake, and there's so many tweets out there. I'll read this one at old arena ghost an eagle eyed eagle eyed fan noted tonight, a charter flight for an eight seat Bombardier global 5,000 leaving LA tomorrow, Toronto bounce tomorrow being Friday. Make of what you will. But that plane is apparently the preferred model of Japanese pitcher Shohei Otani. Yes, some aviation internet sleuths found that there was a private plane leaving John Wayne or Airport. That's uh, Orange County, California, and heading to Toronto. And others noted that that is an irregular route. There's not a lot of private planes that go from Orange County to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Brian Hayes at Hayes TSN, of course, remembering the Kawhi Leonard plane watch 
Toronto is the capital of private jet tracking. No one does it better. Should be the city's new motto. Toronto will track your ass. It gets more bizarre this morning. At Clarence Fraser, an opera singer in Toronto. Source, you say Kukuchi reserves the entire upscale sushi restaurant near Rogers Center for tonight. Reservation made for 50 plus people. Make of it what you will. Wow. Good sleuthing. Planes and sushi restaurants, man. That may be what breaks the Otani story. Uh, people hearken back to the Kawhi stakeout. Oh, my Kawhi God. Kawhi Leonard. You remember they surrounded the damn hotel? Yeah, and I think this was a joke. But in the in that moment, back in 2019, at sandwich underscore dad, guy named Michael, friend of mine works at the Bay, says Kawhi came in today and while making a purchase was asked if he wanted to sign up for an HSBC card. He said yes. yes. Nobody says yes. He's staying. <laughs> oh, oh, so good. I love this stuff. This is why sports is the best. Nobody <laughs> says yes. Uh, and finally for me, at Men and Blazers, Luca Coliosho faces months out with knee injury. Quote, I'd like to think he'll still play the season, but it might be towards the end for manager Vincent Company warned. Tough on a 19-year-old from Norwalk, Connecticut, a bright spark, bright spark in the struggling Burnley team. Here's to a full and quick recovery. So this is the player, folks, who is still not capped by any of the four countries oh, that wow. he's eligible for. Uh, the athletic lists him as U.S., Italian, and Canadian eligible. I believe he's Nigerian eligible as well. Oh, my. Uh, he scored his first Premier League goal five days ago. Three days later, four days later, he has this terrible knee injury. So he was called to Canada, Matt. Mm -hmm. Here's the link to Vancouver. He was called and showed up. We were this close to capping this kid. And we canceled two games with him in attendance oh. because of the labor dispute oh here with the men's team. If that labor dispute doesn't happen, he's in camp. He's with them. Oh. He gets capped that weekend. Oh, my goodness. And the rest is history. You've got a 19-year-old Premier League player. Got to be careful of these sorts of well, things. And what are the chances of capping him now? You know, like, look, look at the debacle he watched. Yeah. And at the behest of his would-be teammates. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and now he's got all this helium. Now the injury might decrease the helium yeah. a little bit, but um, yeah, we'll see. Kolyosha watch continues. They, they need all our uh, all hands on deck against Messi. Yes, here that's hashtags for today. Joined now by Rinkwise Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter in Vancouver snaps. Uh, well, they get back in their winning ways after the Jersey loss. They snap a Minnesota win streak. Snap their own one game losing streak, too. That's all they get. Well, I mean, it was a nice bounce back, Jeff, because you knew Coach was spitting out after the Tuesday game, and this was a pretty good opponent that was on a, a winning streak and a tidy bit of business last night when they finally got a shot on goal. Yeah, I think at the end of the night, the Canucks can feel pretty good about uh, taking two points from yet another conference opponent, another one of those teams that, you know, I think has designs on getting on a run after making the coaching change. 
it's impossible to call it a statement win or a perfect game. I mean, when you don't get a shot for the first 14 minutes and the crowd gets on you. And that was quite a Bronx cheer when Ilya Mikheyev finally put a puck on the Minnesota net. But from that point on, I, I thought the Canucks were pretty good over the final 45 minutes, and particularly in the second period where they barely let Minnesota have the puck. Now, that was aided by a couple of power plays, but there were so many glorious scoring opportunities for the Canucks in the second period that I, I worried that they might rue the day that uh, some of those opportunities had to find the back of the net because, you know, they go to the third period. It's a one nothing hockey game. Minnie's just a shot away, and we really hadn't heard from Kirill the Thrill or Matt Zuccarello, and those two have been uh, driving some of this resurgency for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, but ultimately, when the Canucks got that second goal, I think a little bit of uh, breathing room, they exhaled. And while Minnesota carried the play in the third, it didn't feel like Casey DeSmith was under siege, didn't have to stand on his head, made the saves he was supposed to. He gets the shutout, and the Canucks get the win. It felt like a tidy road win that they sort of managed to victory because they just didn't want to have back-to-back losses. And I'm totally fine with that approach, by the way. The question is, can they find a way to do that? Like, can they get three wins in a row, Jeff? Is it too much to ask for them to get three wins in a row? Can they not just try to do exactly what they did a second night in a row and try to manufacture a little bit of traction here? Well, I do think it's going to be tough to start stringing wins together when Elias Pettersson remains fairly ineffective. JT Miller has cooled on the goal-scoring side. Uh, you know, the, they were better defensively, obviously, and they had to be uh, compared to the night against New Jersey. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of feels like when one area of the game is going, other areas are starting to fall off a little bit. And that is the reason for the one step forward, one step back over a 10 game stretch. So five and five now over their last 10, haven't strung back-to-back wins together since the tail end of that Eastern Canadian road trip in Montreal. And then they came home and beat Bo Horvat and the Islanders in overtime. That's the last time that they have put consecutive victories together. So they have that chance on Saturday with Carolina in town and Carolina is kind of uh, slumping a little bit here. They've lost the first three on their Western Canadian road trip. But I, I just think overall there is inconsistency, particularly at the top of the lineup. And that's something that we didn't say in those first 15 games. And so that's going to be difficult. But I think that's what made the win over Minnesota maybe that much more impressive is it's on the back of a backup goaltender, uh, Niels Hoaglander, who is carrying the on hand right now. Uh, you know, he scores because it feels like he's scoring just about every night out right now. But also then to get you know, a depth goal and a big one at that to extend the lead to 2 nothing. So some of the supporting cast stepped up. We've seen that a few other times throughout this season, but uh, it, it kind of feels like it's being put back at the feet of the, the top-end guys here to elevate their game once again. Did uh, did everybody catch Rod Brindamore's in-game interview in Edmonton? <laughs> <laughs> the number of curse words he had to swallow and then yeah. he finishes up. We're probably parking this one already. It was the We're on route to a 50 <laughs> yes. nothing loss. So uh, an angry bunch coming in here uh, on Saturday night. Jeff, I want to go back to uh, one of your favorite topics, backup goaltending, because Casey DeSmith, eight starts this year, 16 available points. He's got five wins, plus they got a loser point. He's got 11 of the available 16 points for the Canucks and a shutout last night. He is right on track, sir to meet your markers in terms of what a playoff team needs from its backup goalie. 
Yeah, and the more that I find out about Casey DeSmith, like, teammates just rave about this guy. Like, maybe one of the most popular guys in that locker room. And sometimes uh, we see that with other backup goaltenders. They know the role. This guy does. He's been around. He's been at this for a while. He understands that he's not going to play an awful lot when you've got Thatcher Demko doing the things that Thatcher Demko has done for the most part this season. Hadn't played since that loss in San Jose 10 days ago, and that was a tough one for him. It was a tough one for the team, obviously. And he had lost back-to-back starts, in fact. Uh, before that, it was in Calgary. So uh, you know, he's been a nice story, but when you get your opportunities, few and far between as they are, you got to make the most of them. Uh, he wants to play more. Again, he understands the situation here, but I think performances like that one against Minnesota will get him back in the mind of the coach that, hey, maybe we've got to get this guy in here and maybe Thatcher Demko doesn't need to play eight of every nine the way that he had uh, prior to sitting and watching uh, DeSmith deliver the 26-save shutout. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, Just in terms of tracking those numbers, hard to argue with his success. Uh, You know, low-maintenance guy, uh, just shows up, competes, plays hard, and ultimately makes the saves that he's supposed to. And it is funny and probably defies explanation, but why some guys just seem to have the number of a certain opponent. And Casey DeSmith now 5-0 and lifetime against the Minnesota Wild. Well, look who's uh, on the schedule here in you know just over a week's time. It's the Minnesota yes. Wild again. Like maybe you already pencil them in for That's the return match at XL Energy yeah. yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. When we were crafting today's poll question, we almost put the entirety of that third line, Bluger, Garland, and Joshua together uh, when asking who has been the most pleasant surprise. Well, that third line gets a goal last night. Those Hoaglander gets another goal. We put DeSmith and Lafferty on there as well. Which uh, You're voting Hoaglander here for most pleasant surprise at this stage, so. Jeff? Yeah, I, I, just because if you go back to the preseason and training camp, first day of training camp, he's on that line with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and we thought, wow, what an opportunity – And that lasted like a day or a day and a half. And by the end of preseason, when we thought maybe a full-on dress rehearsal and they had some extra bodies, he was a healthy scratch in the final preseason game. And I started to think, like, what is this guy's role? Or is there a role here uh, with this coach that didn't see him last year? He was demoted before the coaching change. And I just wasn't sure if there was a fit. And if so, where was it? And to his credit, uh, you know, started lower in the lineup, but has forced the issue here. Uh, has continued to perform. Look, he forced the trade of Anthony Bovillier. basically ran a, a team out of town uh, with the way that he was playing to earn an opportunity to be an every-night guy. And now into the top six, he scored in back-to-back games. He scored in six of the last 11. Over the last dozen games, guys, he has scored twice as many even-strength goals as any other forward on this hockey club. So, you know, in limited ice time, he's finding ways. And you're starting to ask why some of the others can't do even a little bit of that. So, yeah, I I think the levels to which he has risen here in a relatively short period of time with the amount of ice time that he's getting, uh, that's a very pleasant surprise. And just another reminder that he doesn't turn 23 here uh, for a few more weeks. Like he was a birthday just before Christmas. So one of those late birthdays. And this is a guy that, uh, you know, he's still got, uh, he's still growing. He's still learning. The other thing too is, like he signed on a very affordable ticket for this year and next. So, you know, he, as they continue to be a little crunchy around the cap, uh, he can be a, a guy that they absolutely extract a, a fair bit of value out of. The uh, likes of Joshua and Garland um, continue to impress and in some ways, uh, in a lot of ways, surprise as well. I look at the expected goals against Corsi wise, by the way, those guys were like 50, 50 last night. 
But expected goals tells a better story because it shows when they give, did give up shots how inconsequential they are. I don't know that I've ever seen this, Jeff. Dakota Joshua's expected goals against at even strength last night was .05. He almost pitched a perfect <laughs> game. Uh, .15 for the likes of Garland and Bluger. Um, I mean, not only is Garland a buzzsaw and energy personified, you're making some nice passes, and the opposition is not having a sniff when these guys are on the ice. I mean, you know, as much as the counting stats are not what you'd expect for a guy that's getting the paycheck that Connor Garland is, it's it's a pretty nice line to have in your back pocket. Yeah, I, I, I have trouble, and I'm always going to have trouble getting past the fact that he's got two goals uh, as yeah. we approach Christmas. But if you can put that aside, all the underlying metrics, the fact that we saw it again last night draws penalties that uh, – you know, we talked about the fact that they, they didn't have a great start. They got the goal. So they go to the dressing room up one, nothing, but where I thought the tide really turned in the second was, you know, Connor Garland in being a buzzsaw on the four check takes the elbow to the job, puts the connection, the power play. And that started sort of this momentum. They didn't score on that power play, but you know, he draws penalties and gives this team a chance to go to work with a man advantage. And yeah, I mean, the breakaway pass to Joshua in the third period, uh, the, Pass to Bluger, obviously, a primary assist. So uh, it is remarkable how little time they spend in their own zone. And Rick Tockett, uh, again, before the game against Minnesota, was you know sort of instructively telling us the things that Andre Kuzmenko wasn't doing right on the forecheck. I, I think that if he does video sessions with his broader group in that locker room, he's probably using that line and the way that they forecheck, and they just stick to the structure that he has put there for them, uh, and they play it to a T. So... Yeah, obviously at five million bucks or a shade under, you'd like a little more production. Uh, this is a guy that has scored twenty plus goals in the National Hockey League and did it for Rick Tockett in Arizona. So uh, the scoring touches completely evaporated for Connor Garland to the point, guys. Where remember he scored the first goal of the season, sort of alley oop from Elias Pettersson off the rush against Edmonton, and then his last goal. Uh, and this is part of the problem when you can recall them vividly because there are only two of them. Uh, but the other goal was in Montreal off the rush, and it was set up by J.T. Miller. So. He's got two goals, and none of them have come with his usual and regular line mates uh, this season. And we're bumping up against Christmas here. So uh, in some ways, it's hard to believe. And yet, uh, you're right. It just it, It's sort of a, a luxury to have uh, a guy like that on the third line that's out there causing problems. He's a pain to play against. Uh, I just I do wonder a little bit, come playoff time, when time and space is taken away, and there are a lot of good teams and big bodies out there, you know, can Connor Garland continue to be effective, you know, or do you need a little bit more at the end of the night uh, in the way of tangible takeaways? But right here, right now, there's no question. Uh, you know, sort of the same things that we said about Quinn Hughes that you know is too small. Uh, hey, his best way of defending is spending most of the night up ice in the offensive zone, and that line led by Connor Garland, uh, they don't spend a lot of time in their own end. Could he be a fixer for Patterson? Do you put that energy, that the the passes, does does that work with McKeev and, and Patterson, maybe? When they've tried him higher in the lineup, uh, he's just such a unique character that it's yeah. hard to forge chemistry, and we've seen that. They've tried it before, and so in a lot of ways, he's sort of settled into the right kind of role for him, uh, just without any sort of counting statistics, although it was a nice pass to Teddy Bluger, and Teddy Bluger showed some pretty nice hands. Bluger's got the two goals, and they've both been pretty ones. Gorgeous. Right in yeah. Seattle and, both and them. Absolutely. So... Um, you know, and again, some of this is the, the mystery that is Pia Suter, and we just don't know. 
But Teddy Bluger has bumped up a little higher in the lineup than he's probably best suited for, but hasn't looked out of place, and that line hasn't skipped a beat. I was going to ask you, good question by Blake there in terms of how to fix Elias here. What do you want to see more uh, from with him, Jeff? Like, wh- what is lacking to you? What would you like to see more of from Elias tomorrow, Saturday against Carolina? I'd like him to be a little more assertive. I, I just, this is a guy that has commanded games. When he has been at the top of his game, you know, it's breathtaking to watch. He's a step ahead of most guys out there uh, and then backs it up by taking advantage of, you know, the, the time and space that he sees that maybe others don't and and those types of things. Um, he, he's struggling. It feels like just physically right now to, maintain his footing like he's back to a few years ago where he was falling all over the ice almost every shift and I noticed that last night again uh just doesn't seem as stable and as strong on his skates as uh, he has at other times in his career and so there are times where he'll receive a pass and you think okay maybe he's gonna make something happen here and and you know not even check but just kind of slips on the banana peel he's down loses control of the puck those types of things so uh, I don't know if that speaks to confidence I don't know if that speaks to you know, the, the idea that uh, there are issues with the core and that's kind of, uh, you know, some of the stability that he's lacking right now. Whatever the case, he just isn't that dynamic presence out there uh, that he has been. And he certainly was for much of last season and has been at times uh, throughout his career. You know, his line mates, they had a decent run of games here. But, uh, you know, he's Sam Lafferty, ultimately uh, the right answer to be playing alongside Elias Pettersson. Probably not, but in the short term, that's kind of what the Canucks have and, and the way that they're going here. But yeah, it just, you know, I'd like to see him assert his will in a hockey game, and I just haven't seen that in a long, long time. Yeah, well, we'll see about Carolina. Um, that has a, a good look to it, that one, and then the Florida teams here next week, including Roberto Luongo's Ring of Honor night. We'll catch up on Monday, Jeff. Thanks for this. All right, guys, have a great weekend. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. Sick Harris Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And we'll go to the people, Blake, and it's brought to you by Finney. And this is always about our friends at Finney Cat. Improve productivity and efficiency with equipment you can rely on. Go to Finney.com. Check out their extensive inventory of new, used, and rental equipment to find the solution that meets your unique needs. Need a part? Never easier with Finning Cat's online service. Invest in the future of your business. Check out the latest at Finning.com. I was driving out to Abbotsford for a daughter's hockey game last night. Mm-hmm. On my way back in Abbey, gleaming sign oh, yes. Finning Cat yes. on the side of the highway. I said to my daughter, yeah, we're with those guys. <laughs> Yes, uh, Thursday's poll question, does Tyler Myers last the season as a Canuck? 56% of you said yes. Alistair, yes, because nobody's going to pay pull, pay full freight and we can't afford to retain more than 750 k ish Dougie says no, because there's always more than one GM looking at size and the depth for a playoff run. That's my thought. Snaps says, I personally think he goes to the deadline. We pull up one of those young guys when they finish their season. We go after a forward with the caps to, cap space for a playoff run. Management has made it clear they are buying in, and Myers makes sense for a deadline that move. Snaps, I think, is assuming that Ethan Bears and Tovin, right? Because he can't go down 
further. Mm. I mean, he needs he need another NHL defenseman here for sure. And Josh the Zamboni guy, I think he will get traded at the deadline for a younger defenseman or a prospect. The one thing I'll say about the Myers situation that we didn't necessarily discuss as much on Thursday's program was remember what Frank Cervelli told us on Friday or on Wednesday. Alvin and Rutherford are looking for those imp- incremental upgrades on the margins. We've already seen them seen them in a couple of instances acquire something and then move it straight on out. In the case of a couple of weeks ago, it was Anthony Beauvillier, a pick from Chicago that was immediately moved out to get Sidorov. You may remember the move of Travis Hamanick out for a draft pick that turned into Travis Dermott. He didn't work out. He had the concussion and all that. Parts of the Bull Horvath yeah. trade, uh, the, the pick for Ronan. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you you wonder whether or not they have a similar rabbit to pull out of a hat with Tyler Myers to see if you can upgrade on the right side by doing some sort of do-si-do where he's out and you use the cap space yep. to bring somebody in. It's in their narrow windows. You have to make sure everything is buttoned down because you don't want one team to move on from the proposed deal and all of a sudden you're left holding the bag. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's they've proven that they are open to this. Narrow windows, fine lines. Like it's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, from YouTube reaction to Patrick Johnson, Travis Green said, dump the puck in. Myers corner and pressure him team knows he will cough it up. He has to go. Also Zadorov and Myers are both right side defenders. They're not really Zadorov prefers the left switching Z to the left is not smart. Well, no, the opposite is true. Zadorov's a left-handed shot. He prefers playing on the left side. He will play right side in the pitch. I, uh, I, I, I'll say it again. I do want to see some degree of experimenting with left-handed guys. On the right side, I think you need to sort that a little better by the trade deadline. Uh, this is Gordon on Frank Saravelli's hit with us about the 2026 Winter Olympics. The corruption was so bad for the last Summer Olympics in Rome that after watching the budget practically stolen with nothing to show for it, the government had to intervene in emergency mode with more aggressive oversight and double their budget to make it work. Eight countries dropped their bids for the upcoming Olympics in Milan and certainly skyrocketing security expenses this century have a part in that. Uh, He goes on, the IOC are basically locusts traveling from city to city to get together with developers to take taxpayers on a ride. With all the stresses on public infrastructure and budgets these days, not many Democratic states are going to jump at the opportunity and those that do are in for a lot of backlash. And we've talked a lot about this Gordon, that you're getting to a point where only the rogue states or only states that do not have to account with their public for financial expenditures. And that's why you saw Beijing host both a summer and a winter games in a span of of what, 12 years. And some that's cross, why some cross so, venues. So she yeah. that's why your World Cup goes to Qatar. I realize that's a different organization. Locust traveling from CC or in the uh, case of the Simpsons, the monorail salesman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The monorail. That was so perfect. Too. But, but by the same token, if you have infrastructure and this is the point that Blake's been making for more than a decade now, for example, our city to a degree, Calgary, you're seeing it. This was Salt Lake city. If you have infrastructure, one and done is just not a very efficient model. No. 
you know, especially for a sliding center, for God's sakes. Yeah, we still have, and and ours hasn't fallen into disrepair, like like some of them do. Yeah, because they just don't get used. I mean, look at all the I mean, venues it, for Rio and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's terrible. Um, we should be hosting right the next one. Like, it's just we like, just should. We, go back to communities who have already made this investment. I can't believe that Lighten First the, Nations one fell apart so quickly. I, I know, I know. I, I was, I was very disappointed there. Uh, YouTube reaction to Benning getting enough credit for the Canucks core. It's a joke how you don't even mention he had two different mandates and how cheap the owner was with free agents that made the team take a step back. There may have been that, but ultimately what's we on his record that. is on his we record. Like you don't just strike it. Like every GM is in a different situation with a different owner, but ultimately GMs are just evaluated by what happened under their watch. And this is what happened under his watch. Well, and we did, we did mention that the ownership cut off the purse strings that one year. Sorry. I wanted to get to this on the Olympics as well from Ben. It it was obviously NHL's making up BS excuses when they said South Korea won't be good due to time zone issues, but they were gung ho about Beijing, even though the time zone is one hour apart from Korea, the wishy-washy attitude makes the NHL look very bushly. That I, wasn't I, that, I that wasn't really the case though. What it, they what they said was we want Asian um uh you know exposure but doing it twice in in 5 years is is too much cuz China being a bigger more lucrative. That's right. More eyes would have been on the Chinese Olympics than the South Korean Olympics so they made that decision and then of course COVID and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um on John Shannon Darren says Demko is the gold standard of the Benning draft and development. Wasn't he the only player they developed under Benning? After all, Quinn and Petey stepped right into the NHL a year after they were drafted. One reason I'm positive on the new regime is how committed they are to developing the kids in Abbey. Um, yeah, Besser pretty much stepped right in as well. I guess you can give them some credit for Demko development. Oh, but, for sure. But, for sure. but you do have to keep in mind, like Demko is a second round pick by label but he's only a second round pick because the draft is so cold on goalies now. Like if this was, if this was back then, like he was an acclaimed prospect, you know, there, there, you know, there was maybe a time in the nineties or something like that, where he would have been a first round pick because goalies were sort of equal commodity to Mm -hmm. the other players. Now goalies, unless you just regard it as, you know, the absolute best on the planet at your age, they they get pushed into the twenties or in the second round. Bivosh is yelling at me, says, there's a lever that sets the recline into a certain position. Stop giving the kids shit. This is with regards to Quadrelli breaking our chair in here. Mm-hmm. On J-Pat saying they're not done. This is tripping out. This is Anthony Duclair on an expiring contract. $3 million cap hit might be an option. San Jose is a tire fire. He's got speed. He can score 20 to 30. Always looks fast and dangerous when he plays the Canucks. Yep. That's an interesting on-the-margins player, right? And, of course, he's been on the margins and passed around to... Yeah, he's not, he's not a 30-goal scorer. But uh, no. but his speed does help, and, you know, he's not super expensive. So I could see that. And now let's get to the Great Clips inbox. Uh, Daljeet says, instead of awaiting uncertainty on Ethan Bear, should the Canucks not try to pry Tony D'Angelo out of Carolina? I, I I don't love the D'Angelo character issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and he may have found a way to keep quiet and mind his own business, mm-hmm. but I don't know that you risk that if you're the Canucks. 
Well, he's not necessarily the profile of defenseman that I think Rick Tockett is looking for. Uh, I think Tockett's looking for a bigger defenseman. Now, he is a right shot who's got mobility and all that. Now, some of what he does well is a redundancy with Quinn Hughes. So I'm not necessarily sure he would be getting the offensive opportunity. No. Uh, as he has with other franchises. It'd be more puck moving than it would be sort of operating exactly. power. More play. of a transporter than a guy who's in a position to score uh, or set up a lot of goals. Ben and Langley, tell me I'm wrong. Something is messed up with the NHL schedule when you have a few teams having already played 28 games this early and Ottawa only at 21 games. Yes, we have mentioned this a couple of times this year where there are big gaps between the number of games played. Like, look at the Canucks and Kings, for example. And the Senators are an outlier here. I think part of it has to do with the fact they went to Sweden, but like three other teams went to Sweden too. The Oilers um, just had a week off, a full week, week. off. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and they were on a four game winning streak and then they had to take a week off and everybody was afraid that right. they, they would have been chilled out and then they thumped Carolina. We um, asked you yesterday where, where you're at in terms of cable and streaming, particularly in a world where if the NHL doesn't get a national rights deal out of Bell or Rogers here in a few years and went full streaming in Canada as a tester. Right. Yeah. Graham says, I see Gary at all charging Canadians two to three hundred dollars per year for a package. And if successful, they go and charge the US consumer half of that. I pay for cable so I can watch sports and history channel. If the NHL <laughs> made it affordable, then yes, I would pay for it. However, if it was in the two to three hundred dollars for the year, sixteen to twenty-five dollars a month, I would find an illegal stream to watch it. It is just an accumulation of streaming for me. I have canceled my Netflix, Prime, Disney Plus, and Apple TV, and I hardly miss it at all. David offers, if the NHL went that way, I'd go to a pub to watch the higher-profile games. I was becoming a Whitecaps fan, but when MLS went to Apple, I stopped mm. watching most of their games. David, again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get it. Well, uh, I will say this, uh, and I am quite like the pub, and I quite like the camaraderie of the pub. But uh, it's $300 for the year. You're going to get there quite quickly at pub night. I wonder if we're going to reach the point where a service like Fubo, who does the aggregation of mm-hmm. streamers, if like Fubo gets a deal with Sportsnet and TSN where you just subscribe to Fubo and then Fubo gives kickbacks to TSN the sport. Mm-hmm. So you're affected. And again, I told you this a long time ago. Yeah. We're going to get back to a cable package, except it's going to be a streaming package. Yeah. And one aggregator is going to have all the apps. Diedrich, tell me I'm wrong. The Swedish House Mafia line, Oman Carlson Hoaglander from Abbotsford will be the Canucks third line. This Next was, year, it's possible. This was the Harkin bat. He this he was a forward from uh Deidre wants a pat on the back because he sent this originally okay. months ago. And so he's thinking this has sort of come to fruition a little bit. And honest A B, tell me I'm wrong. You don't win a cup in the NHL copycat league by being a copycat. Vegas wins it all using an army of mediocre goalies, and suddenly everyone is saying top end goaltending doesn't matter. Of course it matters. The other night in Winnipeg and Vegas proved. Once again, about hot goaltending in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Doesn't necessarily have to be a credentialed goaltending. But if a mediocre goalie can get to top-end level yeah. in the Stanley Cup playoffs, as we saw with Aiden Hill last year, and the team in front of him is pretty good, 
That's enough. No one debated the goaltending is not important. It's it's do you need a pedigreed, expensive goalie? And a lot of teams, including tomorrow night's opposition for the Canucks, Saturday night's opposition, the Hurricanes, that's one of those teams that says we're going to bank on finding somebody that we think can get hot. Well, we'll see. Cares Price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great clip. It's going to be great. And as we move into errors and omissions, that's the first error and omission from yesterday's show. I did not set you up for that. It's going to be great. Shame. How dare I? Shame. Shame. That's something we've been doing for years. Great Clips, a long-standing Securus and Price sponsor. We were doing this back in the old place. And I missed it. Part of my routine. Also, well, we all called it purple and gold with the Los Angeles Kings before Bruce McNall came around, bought the team with somebody else's money and changed the colors to the Oakland Raiders or LA Raiders at the time scheme. Jack Kent Cook, the eccentric Canadian billionaire who owned them, did not like it being called purple. This was the 70s, Blake. Purple was an effeminate color. Mm -hmm. So he called it Forum Blue after the L.A. Forum. Forum Blue. Looked purple to me. It's very purple. Yeah. To this day, some of my favorite uniforms, those old kings. The golds, absolutely gorgeous. Hartford and the kings in the 80s. The unis were on point. Got into a debate with my kids the other day. Is teal in the green? We're talking about the sharks jerseys. Is teal in the green family or the blue family? I, I would put it in the blue family. <gasps> really? Am I with your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Shame. Your eyes aren't very good, Blake. I would take their cues. No, my my color evaluation is on point. Anything else? Uh I. That's all I have. Do you have anything? Does Grady no, have nothing anything? Nothing from anything the inbox. Okay. No, I think we're we're good. All right. Time for our Betway bets of the day. Blake, last year. The oh, athletic- hold on. Did did you get to Yerkes, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, and St. Paul? Oh, there was Blake that. Was- there was that. Yes, yes. I suppose. Um, so Yerke. Good was- catch, Grady. Um, he says, I probably missed today's cutoff, but E&O on Blake Price on Wednesday for referring to the wildest playing in Minneapolis rather than right. St. Paul. And I told him, I was yeah, waiting so. for you to correct me in the moment because I need to say this. And I think I've said this before. I don't recognize St. Paul. I think the Twin oh. Cities are a joke. Oh. You, you don't get to be two cities. It's just one city. What are you talking about? Here in no. Vancouver, we got multitudes of cities. Yeah, but it's just- every other city in Canada now is together as a mega city. Right. And you got neighborhoods no, no. that elect a councillor that sit at a mega city hall. Here we have our own itty bitty councils in every locale. Where do the Los Angeles Angels play? Anaheim. Right. But they're the LA Angels. So. I, you know, it's all one sprawling metropolis. I'm, I refuse to recognize St. Paul. You're Minneapolis now, St. Paul. You heard it here first. Mary Tyler Moore show. Was that Minneapolis or St. 
Oh, oh my God. I didn't know it was even staged. Well, that's kind of what put that one of those cities on the map. <laughs> I was going to say that town. Not like Laver- oh, it's Minneapolis, Minneapolis. Laverne and Shirley was in Wisconsin. Boy, they loved the northern states back then, didn't they? Was Mary Tyler uh, Moore also a uh, Norman Lear production? Well, probably. He did all the shows. Yeah, back he then. did all. Passed at 101 years old this this week. Like if you work at the St. Paul Pioneer Press, the bugle there, do you cover Minneapolis? Or do you just call cover St. Paul? Is, right. that, is that your line of demarcation? Yeah, we're not going but, over the bridge. Oh, there's a murder over there in Minneapolis. You know what? Not our town, not our not our audience. Exactly. You're proving my point even more. And the other thing, the Timberwolves have their own arena in Minneapolis. The Wild have their own arena in St. Yeah, Paul. Seems wasteful. You couldn't even get together on an arena. Seems huh? wasteful. Yeah. They all root for the Vikings and Twins, I guess. All right. That way, bets of the day. Thank you, Yerky. Good catch. Like last year after Army beat Navy, the Navy athletic director walked into the locker room, asked to speak to legendary coach Nui Matalolo, and fired him while his players were still weeping in the locker room and as the middies head down, we're exiting the stadium. Ruthless. Wow. Ruthless. Yeah. This is the Naval Academy. They're there to be sailors, serve their country. Yeah, they're going to lose some football games. And sometimes even though they're arch rival, the head coach of Army, Jeff Munkin, was very close with the Navy head coach. I think he wants to put it on Navy this year for the way they treated his buddy last year. So for God country, the long gray line and coach Nui Matalolo, Army minus 134 on the money line. Yeah, and if you love a great me. game of rugby, go exactly. take it in. There may be 10 passes in the game. Yeah. There may be 100 yards combined passing in the game. If you want to watch what football looked like 100 years ago, you're going <laughs> yes. to tune into this so they, game. Yeah, they should really just wear leather helmets. <laughs> Our friend Captain Bell is there. Um, I was proud of the Patriots. The Patriots have been playing some army football this year. I, I called them to win. I, they got a hundred yards in the first quarter. I mean, it was Scotty. scoring. Like at it one was, point I looked up, somebody had a two as the first digit. Oh my, and it God. wasn't a safety. Um, we've uh, talked about the Otani sweepstakes as we speak right now. And this could be in a lot of flux. Yes. <laughs> um, hey, we should mention with the Soto trade, Yankees improved to 11 to 1 to win the World Series. They're now the top dog in that division. Mm-hmm. Jays have squeaked up to above the Orioles wow. on speculation. Oh, here we go. But if they, once the news hits, you think right now 13 to 1, that could prove to be a deal, folks. Go get the Jays at 13. Incidentally, the first Otani plane has been debunked. Also a Bombardier, but. Shohei apparently likes the Bombardier Global 7,500, not the 5,000. One of them has a red stripe. Therein lies the difference. So this plane going from John Wayne to Toronto, probably not Otani's plane of choice. Or it's or it's subterfuge. Yeah, like you or, never... or he just needed or he just had to use a different plane. Imagine having opinions on PJs. You're like, what, what, what do you got in the quiver here? I need to get from here to here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's one oh, of those. Oh, you no. only have the 5,000 yeah, nap. Yeah. Not going to work. 
Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.